Hold on to every second, not to win, but to live life to the fullest. Those are the words of advice the sermon gave to me today. As I listen to Dad talk about my grandpa, who was also a United Methodist minister, and how he strived to befriend the young clergy in the church, I couldn't help but think what a legacy his life left behind. I am now very close to a young person in the United Methodist Church, and I feel the advice the old quarterback gives the young one would be the same that my grandpa and dad would give Stephen and all of us. Why do we wait until we hear a sermon like this, or a life is taken too soon, to live each day to the fullest? Today, go out and get yourself a marble, and be reminded that you can hold on to every second and live it to the fullest if you love because God first loved you. Draw me nearer. I mean, Brian, I don't see how we sat there doing that. Draw me nearer. That should be our constant plea. Please, Lord, just bring me closer to you. Bring me as close as it takes even to the cross. Have any of you ever told God to just woke up in the morning and say, God, if I can die for you today, then I'm willing to do so? That's what it takes. That's what it takes if we are going to change this world around. That God, whatever it takes, if it means crucifixion, then that's what it takes. I'm willing to do it. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness and sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy and arguing. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify your own sinful nature. Do not think about yourself. Think on Him. Let us pray. Lord God, how are we living our lives? How are we living out our lives? Are we slowly but surely living for ourselves until the day that we die? Are we daily willing to die to self so that we might live for you? Lord God, if there is nothing else said this day, may those words echo in each and every heart this morning. What am I doing, Lord, for you? In your name I pray. Amen. We were in Ardmore this weekend doing a workshop, and then that morning as the girls and I were getting ready, and Linda, of course, had already gone very early and tried her best not to wake us up, but I was sitting there wide awake drinking a cup of coffee, watching ESPN. Now, now I did sports all my life, but I'm not a big sports nut. I don't watch ESPN. I don't really watch football unless it's something like tonight, the Super Bowl. I'm not that big of a fan because all the interaction just sort of takes me. I'm one that's I'm easily distracted. Did you guys realize that? I'm, you know, I'm easily, someone over here just picking their ear can just drive me crazy. I'm, <laughs> I'm easily distracted. But I was watching ESPN, and they were interviewing past quarterbacks of the Super Bowl, and I thought some of you would appreciate this because they were interviewing each of these men, but one that really stuck me was Dan Marino. Do you guys know him? I said his name right, didn't I? Robbie, did I do okay? Dan Marino. They were talking to him, and several statements, if you'll give me the freedom of license to just interpret what he said, but they asked him, how is life now? And he said, it's so much different than what I thought it would be. 
They said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, I get up in the morning, and I, I get to sleep in, and I get up, and I eat breakfast. And they said, well, what do you do then? And he said, I read the paper. And they said, oh, okay, and then what do you do then, Dan? And he said, well, I'll have another cup of coffee usually, and then I'll contemplate what I have to do that day. And they said, well, Dan, what does your day look like? And he said, golf. And they said, oh, so you go out and golf for a while? And he said, no, all day. They said, all day long you play golf? And he said, what else is there for an old athlete to do? And they said, well, what does your evening look like? And he said, well, I try to have dinner with my family, but they're so busy. So some nights I just eat dinner alone and I watch sports on TV. They said, well, what advice would you give the quarterback? Now, <laughs> this tells you again, you guys know, I don't know who the quarterbacks are tonight. I know the, the, the teams that are playing, right? The Colts and the Bears are playing tonight. They said, what advice would you give their quarterbacks? And he said, to hold on to every second of the game tonight. And he said, not to win, but to live it to the fullest. Wow. Not to win, but to live it to the fullest. That really hit me hard because as I had already told Margaret what my sermon title was as I was going to this evangelism conference, because I have a cute little story that deals with marbles at the end, I knew what I was wanting to say, but I didn't know how much the week could impact me. It's amazing what an old Super Bowl quarterback can tell a preacher. His life now, supposedly he has everything he wants. He has a beautiful home, has all the cars he wants, has everything he doesn't have to work. And his thing is that he's bored stiff. That he's just sitting around living out his life till he dies. Anybody living that same life? You just don't have the size house you want and the cars. But you wake up every day deciding, well, I'll have breakfast today and, and then I'll read the paper because it comes. And then, what, what else? What else? What else can I do? What else can I do? What I, oh, I can go golf. Or uh, I can watch talk shows. Or, you know, I can play on the Internet. I can just sit around and live my life. Or, or your morning you wake up and you decide the most important thing you're going to do is decide who you're going to go have lunch with. Because that's a big event. How about your life? Are you living it as we're told we are to? Hear these words from Romans. Romans 12, if you'd like to follow along with me, starting with verse 1 in Romans. Romans 12, verse 1. I'm hoping if I stall just a little longer, some of you will open your Bibles. Romans 12, <laughs> verse 1. And see, you, I, heard, I heard those pages moving. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing, perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly uh, than you ought to. Let me repeat. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each one has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function, so in Christ we are many forms of one body, and each member belongs to all the others. 
We have different gifts, and according to the grace given us, we are to use them. If a man's gift is prophecy, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do so cheerfully. He's saying in this passage that we are to live as God has called us to live, which is for him in service to him. Using our gifts, using our graces, use anything we have and everything we have for him. That's a powerful understanding for we as Christians because it's telling you today that you must decide what it is God is calling you to do for His sake. Now some say, but Mark, I've got to work for a living. We do. We all do. But in the midst of that working and that living, can we do it for Him? For the glory of Him? We can. You can say, but I've done all my work. I've lived out my life. Now it's I want to do something for myself. It doesn't say that in there. It doesn't. And you say, oh, well, I wasn't supposed to retire? No, that's not what I'm saying. That no matter what you're doing, it says you're supposed to do it for him. So how does that play out for each of our lives? That are we doing our best to live for him? This last semester, I told some of you that the men's Bible study met, and we studied a work called A Wasted Life. And it was by John Piper. And, and there are many, uh, and I'm just going to say it, I, I think I can risk it now, it's been four years, there are a lot of you men that need to be in Bible study, amen? You do. You, you just do. And be mad at me and, and get over it, but you need to be in Bible study, regular Bible study. Now, this book was not that, so I'll tell you that, was it? It, it, it had a lot of Scripture, but it was a very deep theological work that, that was over my head, so uh, everyone else just said, Mark, what did you expect from the rest of us? But just the saying alone, wasted life, hit us hard because as each chapter unfolded and we got more frustrated with it, we kept hearing what John was basically saying, that whatever you're doing, have you wasted your life doing it unless you're doing it for Him, His sake? That all our life must be lived for Him in everything we do, in work, in our marriages, in our parenting, in, in our social activities, in our church, that all of it must be done for Him. Now, I'm not going to let you get away from this point because each of you are sitting somewhere in your life in one of those areas that I'm asking you to ask yourself. Are you doing everything you can in whatever area of your life to live it out for Him? If you haven't, John would say you've wasted your life. Paul would say in Romans, you're not living your life for Him and therefore you're not living your life. And I would say, you're just surviving is all you're doing. On our ride to Ardmore, by seconds, we missed out on ending our life. Seconds right in front of us, a diesel cut off, a truck pulling a trailer, pulling a tractor. Seconds. There were so many that wouldn't be here today if not by the grace of God. As the man's truck had flipped and crushed, it looked like a Coke can that I had stepped on. Linda stopped as all the debris was there, and I jumped out and ran to check on the man as Linda got the girls off to the side. And all these people swarmed upon this accident to help this gentleman. He was crushed in the cab of his truck, covered by his airbag, and there was no way he looked like he could be alive. 
as the airbag deflated and we began to see this gentleman, he was amazingly astonished that he was alive. And he said, he said a few words, and he kept saying, I'm sorry, and then he said a few other words that I can't repeat. But he said, my life, my life just about flashed before my eyes. And I thought the word as he said, man, what a waste. I think he meant the whole thing that happened. And I wanted to say, your life? Have we wasted our life to the point that we are sitting at 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s? There's some 70 and 80-year-olds out here that we're looking at our life and saying, what have I really done for the sake of the call? If my life were to end this moment, would it all be for naught? I mean, would people, yes, we would gather. I promise you, I'll come to your funeral, and we'll gather, and we'll talk about how good, because I never talk how bad someone is. I just don't do that. There's too much material, but the good keeps it about a 30-minute now. But we gather to celebrate you, and we remind ourselves of that. But when that is over, does that mean your life is over? Or has what you've done in your life, will it live on? Will people's life be changed because they knew you? Will their lives be changed because they encountered you somewhere in your life that through what you said and what you did, you touched someone's life to the point that long after you're gone, they will remember the God in you? That is what it's telling us in Romans today. It's telling us that we are to be living our life to the point that others will come to know Him because they have known us. And they will build that relationship and grow in the point that when we're long and gone, they will be continually leading others to Jesus Christ. Jesus and the twelve did just that. They did just that because they evangelized the world. They went out to the world living each day as if it was their last, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wonder how many of you, if, if I just sent strangers into your life, I'd love to do this if I had money. There are so many people that need jobs. I'd love to pay people just to go to some of your homes and workplaces and just say, would you tell me about your relationship to Jesus Christ? Because I'd want to hear them come back and say, it was amazing. You wouldn't believe, you would not believe what Eric told me when I saw him at school. And Eric, when, that, when I send that kid to you at school, what would you tell him about your relationship to Jesus Christ? Just give me one thing. It's good, okay? It's good. That's part Now he's going, you guys didn't tell me he was calling on me. It's good. <laughs> Bryce, you set him up. You know, you let him keep talking. When he <laughs> but to have people ask you about the God in you and you share with them will change their life. Do you know what they said? They said, that if you have someone in church, if you invite someone to church, and that guest, you take them to lunch, that there's a 95% chance that that person will not only come back to your church, but if they do not have the relationship with God they're supposed to, they will. Did you know that? 95% chance that if you just invite someone and they come and you take them to lunch, I guess the way to a person's soul is through their stomach. But something about that relationship makes the difference it does so what are have you done for him lately what have you done to remind the world around you that god is all that matters that your relationship with jesus christ is all that's important you have to be about his business 
That is what the church's purpose is. It's not for the best potlucks. It's not to have the, the prettiest buildings. It's to make sure that we provide an atmosphere so that we can share about Jesus Christ in work and in play, in our relationships, at home, with family, with friends, that we are doing everything we can to share about Jesus Christ. He turned on his ham radio, and he was listening to it as he was drinking a cup of coffee. And as he listened, he heard a man talking to a young gentleman. He said, man, I'm sorry your week has been so crazy. You guys ever gripe and complain about your weeks? Oh, come on. Well, I do. Thank you, Liz. We do. We're honest that sometimes they're hard weeks. And this young man had been telling this guy over the ham radio how bad his week had been. And, and the older gentleman obviously said, you know, I'm sorry to hear how bad your week has been. He said, I had those bad weeks too a while ago, but he said there was something I did that stopped that, and it was the marble theory. The young man on the other side of the ham radio, and obviously hundreds if not thousands were listening to this conversation, said the marble theory. What do you mean the marble theory? He said, well, years ago I heard about a gentleman that early in his life he collected marbles. Marbles as symbols of his life. He went out to a toy store and bought him enough marbles to cover all the Saturdays in his life. You see, the average person lives to be 75. Some less, some more, thank goodness. But the average person will live to be 75. So next time I hear a 50-year-old say they're going through midlife crisis, I'm going to laugh, okay? Midlife crisis is a lot earlier that we get to go through. So some of you 30 years old go through midlife crisis. But, 70, there you go, Jen. but 75 years old is your average lifespan. He was talking about it, and he said the gentleman went ahead and he averaged out that he would have about 3,900 Saturdays, that he multiplied 52, what does that symbolize, Liz? <laughs> there you go. And times 75 will give you, I hope, 3,900. Now some of you mathematicians out there are adding, but it's around there. And he went out and he bought almost 4,000 marbles, and he put it in a jar. And each Saturday of his life, he would go get a marble, and as he got that marble, he would carry it around with him all day long. And at the end of the day, he'd just throw it down. This gentleman was visiting with a guy, and he said, when I heard about that, he said, I was 55 years of age. So I went out and bought around 1,000 marbles because I knew my lifespan was much shorter than this gentleman. He said, young man, let me advise you in something. Don't lose all your marbles for nothing. He said, go out and get you some marbles and make sure that each time you have a marble that your life is lived to the fullest. And he said, let me encourage you to do something even better. Instead of throwing your marble down at the end of that day, give that marble to someone else. And I would add, and then share Jesus Christ with them. The conversation began to end on the radio, and as the guy was talking, he said, guess what I'm doing today? The young man Told him back, said, I'm not sure. What are you doing this Saturday? And he said, taking my wife to breakfast. And he said, I've got my last marble in my pocket. See, I'm 75 years old, and this is my last Saturday. I want to make sure I do what's right today with this last day. When I thought about that story and after reading, and I keep thinking that we all keep thinking we have a billion years to live. Every time I hear someone say, I can't believe this person died. I thought my dad told me years ago, son, you were born to die. And what you do between birth and death is what's going to make a difference in your eternity. 
So it wasn't that devastating when, when I did hear, even though it was shock, after I thought about it, his whole life was meant to die. And he did everything he could up to the last point of his life to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just yesterday at the Ardmore thing, we had four different people that came up to us, young pastors, that said, man, we didn't know you were Marcus Barnett's son. Do you know what he did for me? And they began to share their story. Now, isn't that the way we would like to live our lives? Knowing that every Saturday we woke up, we have one more chance to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, you do. You're alive today. Saturday passed, and all of you lived, didn't you? Some of you wake up. Hold on this point. You're going to like it. You're going to get a marble. So wake up and know you're going to get something today. Don't sleep through the whole service. Is that when today you take this marble to communion, put it in your pocket, and do me an amazing favor, and do yourself an amazing favor. Find someone that's in need of hearing about God's love and grace. For you see, communion is exactly that. It's the gospel of Jesus' grace in which He says, I will give you life and I will give you abundantly. And I will give you salvation. And I will give it to you graciously. God is offering you an amazing gift in His Son. And He's offering it to you this day. But He's not telling you, people of God, gather in a church and lock the doors and you all have a great time. And then turn off the lights and sneak out into the world and don't let them know anything about what y'all are doing. He's saying, go ye into all the world, preaching and teaching and baptizing in my name, and lo, I am with you always. That is the last message he gave to his disciples, to go forth into the world and live their life to the fullest for him, not for them. So is your life wasting away? Are you doing your best this day to live your life for all that it's worth? Well, God is giving you a chance to truly do that in this moment. For as you come forth to eat of the bread and drink of the cup, you can forget all that was before. All the Saturdays before this Saturday are all gone. But guess what? There's another Saturday waiting out there for you if you will live this week to its fullest. If you will start by leaving this place with God's grace intact and go forth to give it all away, He'll give you more and more and more. For on that night when he was betrayed, even when he knew it was his last time together, he took the bread. And sitting with, her, with his disciples, he looked among them and he hoped and prayed that they knew without a doubt what their mission was. And that's what I'm hoping without a doubt you do. For you are to eat of this, the body of Christ, broken for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And each time you eat of it, you are to remember the gift that he has given you. And then you are to go forth into the world to share that gift with others. And on that same night, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks over the cup, he looked at each of his disciples and he said, Drink ye all of this, for this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many. And as they drank, they were reminded that they had a wonderful message of love and grace. A message of peace and unity. To go out into all the world and to share it with others, they were to share this, the cup of everlasting love. So this morning as we are here this day, we are each given that same gift to take of this bread and to dip in the cup 
and to be reminded God's grace is for us all. You sit out there today, some of you transplants from other denominations, some of you still strong in your faith from other theologies, some of you die-hard Methodists because you were either raised or bred that. And you know what God says this morning? doesn't matter. You are my people, and this is my table, and I invite my people to eat of this, the bread that I've provided, and the drink that I have poured out. So we remind you that we open up this table to each and every one of you. And we invite you this morning to come down. And as you will, there will be persons standing with the bowls of marbles to give you a marble. You can put it in your pocket and forget about it. But I know once your wife washes your pants, she'll remind you where it was. Or you can put it somewhere in your car this week. And every time you see it, I pray that it's like a huge beacon that it keeps saying, tell someone. Tell someone about me. The ushers will also be leading you forward, and we're doing something a little different. We're going to be doing three stations of communion. We want to always remind you that this altar is open for you, that please to come and kneel and to pray if you so need to, to know that there is no rush, to know that Cheryl and I are here and that Liz will be here, and if you just want someone to pray with, don't hesitate to ask us. Would you just offer prayer? So those that are serving, we have asked our lay speakers, and they will be doing this periodically through the year to remind you that we have a wonderful gift of lay ministers in this church. As they come forward this morning, we pray that you will each prepare your heart and your spirit to receive.